Come one, come all. You know what time it is. That's right. The Cubs Weekly Podcast is back on the air. And as always, we're presented by Trust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home, the Cubs Checking. I'm Cole Wright. I'll be at your service for the next few minutes or however long this podcast goes. And then uh, I'll also be joined by Taylor McGregor. She's our Marquee Sports Network Cubs sideline reporter. And uh, today, Taylor, I'll tell you what, we are lucky as it gets because who are we joined by? Well, we're joined by former Cub and uh, one of our partners in crime on Cubs Live, Cubs Post Game Live, and things all-encompassing on Marquee Sports Network. It's uh, the one, the only, Doug Glanville. And Doug, welcome to the show. Glad to have you today. All right, Colt Taylor, great to be on. Absolutely. You know, you know Doug, I've, if anyone has been living under a rock, then they probably haven't seen the, the, the op-ed that you wrote in the New York Times. And it's, it, it, it really touched on a lot of things that are at the forefront when it comes to Major League Baseball right now, specifically the COVID-19 outbreak, you know, among the, the Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins, and, and the St. Louis Cardinals. And you touched on the fragility of baseball right now. And you said that Jim Riggleman, your old skipper, when you first came up into the bigs, he said, guys, you play for the name on the front of your jersey, not on the back. And Doug, that's really what we're seeing right now when it comes to baseball. All these guys that go out there each and every single day, they're not just playing for what's on the field. They're playing for the fans. They're playing for the people that that work closely with, with the organizations. They're also playing for loved ones. I mean, this is a different time that we live in in 2020. Yeah, it is, Cole. And, and I think, you know, we recognize that a lot of discussions about sports coming back was assessing what our role, what sports role is in our society. Like, how does it inspire? Uh, is it essential? You know, we've kind of gotten a lot of those discussions. And I think we found with baseball, sort of leading this second wave of, you know, sports coming back. Uh, we started to ask some deeper questions about you know, what sports and how it engages the rest of our communities. And uh, so, yeah, as a player, you play and you have a, a city, a state, you know, representing the major league. It's also a history. And, and of course, you come from somewhere. You know, that's your name on the back, your family legacy. And what we're seeing now is beyond our assessment of baseball having this role to bring us back to some sense of normalcy and entertainment. It's also serving this powerful role about how we're dealing with this health crisis because all the information they're gathering, the environment by which they're doing it is informing us in some ways. And we see that even if you have all these resources, you are, you know, a top athlete, you have, you know, the sort of consciousness, the platform and the ability to get, you know, tests back quickly, things like that, you're still, in a fragile state. And I know as a parent with four kids assessing, sending my kids back to school, I'm talking to my kids through using baseball as an example of just how careful we have to be. So it's taken on this bigger role in, in some respects and we're aligned very much, uh, we're aligned to their success, whether you're a baseball fan or not, because what we're learning about this virus, a lot of it is flowing through sports and baseball in particular. And then another example of that was in, in 2001, after the 9-11 attacks, when you guys went back on the field, how would you describe what the players felt as a responsibility to be that avenue for, for the rest of the country that, hey, everything's going to be okay and we're going to be an example for everybody? You know, I, we were definitely in a lot of uncertainty as everyone else, and it was, it was, there was two ways to it. Part of it was a little bit 
of being nervous about coming back and claiming this type of influence, right? We kind of like, well, we're not that important and we don't want people to congregate. Uh, We didn't know what was happening with these attacks. So we were kind of cautious about taking that role in assuming that, you know, we have this, you know, horse to ride on, so to speak, to come in. So there was part of that. And then I think as we got closer, because we ended up sitting out about a week. We were in Atlanta at the time. And our next series was in Cincinnati. They canceled Atlanta. We were in constant touch with MLB and the Players Association. And when we went to Cincinnati, we, uh, we knew the rest of the series was canceled by the time we got there. So we ended up going back to Philly and being one of the you know, first games coming back. And certainly in Philadelphia, uh, everybody was, was at that point looking forward to it. So we started to see the, the importance and – uh, and, you know, we started to welcome that in a way that saying, you know, hey, if we can get people to take their minds off certain things, to find something that connects us, that binds us, that has a patriotic history, then we, we thought that was, we were in the right place. But we treaded with a lot of humility, recognizing, you know, how scary it was for everyone. And also, at the time, still each day, we were still nervous about what could be next. Doug, as similar as 2001 and 2020, as they are how how much different have things been because obviously a, a pandemic and a terrorist attack they're they're night and day but like you said just making sure that everything everything was was safe as far as player safety as far as you know team safety but when you look at what's going on right now moving forward following these safety protocols how important will that be not just for the safety of the players and everyone involved but for the safety of the game in general Critical, absolutely critical. And I think one of the key differences is we're dealing with this enemy, so to speak, uh, in real time. And, and you know the feelings we all have. Every day you wake up and you have a different feeling about it. You know, you're questioning everything you do. The mundane is difficult. Do I go to the grocery store? You know, do I wear a you know, mask in this scenario in my house? You know, whatever it is, it is it's, it's dicey all the time. And baseball has given us this kind of real-time engagement around the virus and treating it and addressing it and they're learning somewhat the hard way. And that's informative to us in, in many ways as, as is basketball and other sports. So, um, you know, when you think about what they have, you know, they're bringing all these resources and all these kind of advantages and privileges to this fight against this virus. And when they're getting punched in the face, that's, you know, it's scary because, you know, they have this kind of access. The tests are turned around. They're, you know, you generally have these amazingly in-fit athletes that are uh, still dealing with. So that is, a, you know, a significant difference than, you know, say that, you know, this crisis moment in this tragedy of 9-11. Uh, certainly, we, we changed a lot of laws. We had Patriot Acts. All these things sort of shifted. But this is a clear and persistent and present danger we're facing. And baseball is right in the midst of it. Doug, when you look at baseball's responsibility to itself as a sport and and then to the country, what do you think is the most highlighted in the middle of this pandemic? Well, I have to say that when I, and I wrote in that piece about this idea of essential, and you recognize that baseball or entertainment has this non-essential nature. It's not, you know, we're not talking about first responders or, you know, people are helping deliver groceries. There's so many other examples of who are, are truly, uh, who, who is truly um, essential in this scenario. 
so that that we recognize, but I think that baseball, uh, you know, sort of being in the midst of it, you know, recognizes that there is something that does inspire us about sport that brings us together. And I always say that sport has this team environment where you do play for that name in the front and you do play for something that's bigger than yourself, whether community, country, city, state, history, all these things that kind of give us this different perspective about our individuality. And, and I think that humility that comes with this allows us to expand how baseball and sports in general also looks to have an equitable environment, a place that's fair. We have rules, we have you know, competitive balance tax. We're always finding ways to create equity in sport that the rules apply across the board no matter who you are. And, and those two examples uh, can, are spirits that we can tap that are essential to our country right now, our world right now, because we need to be ultimate teammates to each other to survive. We need to be ultimate teammates to be able to get together on the same page and, and attack something that knows no loyalty. And that's where I you know, come down on how sports are essential in that regard to be able to remind us about you can have teams of people from all walks of life trying to come together that, that share these rules that are supposed to be distributed fairly. And that's how I think we'll be able to, uh, you know, move forward in, in the best foot forward that we can going, going ahead. Professional sports do tend to restore some sense of normalcy, no matter what the time and place. And, and Doug, taking a look at what's going on right now, how big will this week be? Because we know over the weekend, we heard Commissioner Rob Manfred, he said, if Major League Baseball doesn't corral some of these COVID-19 outbreaks, as we touched on just a little bit ago with, with the Miami Marlins, with the St. Louis Cardinals, and he said that he has the power to shut the season down. And you know, as we're recording this, it's, it's Monday, and things, fingers crossed, look to be so far so good. Yeah, it, it's, it's that day-to-day. And, and we know the Marlins had this huge outbreak, and we also were humbled by how quickly it spread. I mean, they had one case, three cases, 17 cases, 20 cases. I mean, they bust a whole group of people out of there. That's scary. And that tells you how quickly this can spread in a certain environment. Uh, we also, I think from Major League Baseball standpoint and, and the players, they have to make sure they continue to work as a united front. You know, it's so easy, and we know this in our own lives, right? The blame game. Oh, this person's not doing this. This person's doing that. We're all assessing families that we should hang out with or not. Or, in, you know, it's, it's constant, and we just don't know enough. And we have to be careful with the finger pointing. And I think, you know, and you look back to how the season came about in baseball. It was kind of the usual contentious uh, rancor between the Players Association and the MLB. And I, look, I, I was part of that experience, too. And you know, the, the challenge, the question I kept posing is when we finally come out of this and agree on a schedule and agree to play, is that tension going to kind of go away? Because you need to be completely united on this. And I just worry about when we talk about who has to get their act together and all that, that we start to get in this divided camp again and, and not saying, you know what, we're all in this. We all have a lot of uncertainty. I know there's rumors about what the Marlins may have been doing and all these things. But this, we, we should know at this point, this virus doesn't care. And, and what we think we're protecting against, it's completely trial and error. And that's the, the way we have to move forward as a sport, to be on the same page. And there are some positives, like you said, Cole. There's some things that are working, it seems like, or some teams are seemingly having uh, success in their protocols. Uh, we want to celebrate that, but also do it in a way to know that it can change quickly. And it's truly incremental 
every day is a victory and you hope to look up and have a championship crown and people safe. And Doug, one of the teams who around the league has seemed to be that standard is the Cubs. From your experience talking with people within the Cubs and, and those around Major League Baseball, what is the feedback on kind of what they're doing that seems to be really helping um, that other people are striving to do as well? Well, David Ross spoke about it from, you know, and he's mentioned it certainly a few times. Uh, there certainly must be an advantage to the trust that he has in his camp, in his team. He was a player. He played with a lot of these players. He recognizes, uh, he knows their family. He understands. Uh, then, of course, as a manager, being in a leadership role, having that perspective, really a fresh perspective about players today. Uh, I'm sure that helps because so much of it is trust and communication and and saying, hey, look, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to be inside. We're not going to go here. Uh, that that matters when you have a certain leader. Now, you have to be cautious not to put too much on, you know, the insular nature of whatever the Cubs or any team is doing because we know things can shift very quickly. You look back at our country and New York City was on fire and people were keeping New Yorkers out of Rhode Island and all kind of stuff was going on. And then they kind of flipped the script and, and Florida, who was keeping New Yorkers like, hey, don't, don't come visit us, all of a sudden now became this hot spot. So, you know, we, we, it shifts around as soon as you either take your eye off the ball or you, you know, just are at the mercy of something that we're not fully understanding. But there's no doubt that there are certain things we do understand. You know, distance matters, protection matters, wearing personal protection matters. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of elements that we seem to no work and the more that everybody stays on that same page the more likely we can at least have some success even if it's short term yeah like doug like you said you don't want to go walking around like barry horowitz patting ourselves on the back when it comes to the cubs and following protocols but taking a look at how the cubs have had you know zero positive tests you know through all this testing do you think that the the fact that there's anthony rizzo on the team and john lester both cancer survivors does that put things in a whole different perspective for this team and, and give their awareness somewhat of, of, a, of a heightened look because they know, hey, guys, two big pieces of our winning puzzle in John Lester and Anthony Rizzo, they're cancer survivors, so we know we need to be extra careful here. Absolutely, and they're also tremendously respected. You know, they're tremendously respected. And it is something to say when it's really in your face every day, like, wait a minute, we have to be really careful. We have to be really careful. Uh, now, I'm sure every single player has someone in their life that has a heightened concern about, but there's is a difference when it's literally your, your locker mate, your teammate right there. And, and they can tell that story. So, you know, I'm sure most teams have uh, conditions or circumstances, whether players opted out or not to know how uh, fragile this is. And I, I would think that many teams are approaching it in the way that the Cubs have had success. But once you have an outlier, it, it starts to, or you have someone that says maybe they just decide they're not following or whatever reasons, it starts to break down the system. That's what's so concerning. Because whatever happened in Marlins camp or why, as they're trying to figure it all out, is also going to create doubt in the system. And that's what's scary about it because you could be doing a lot of things right, but now all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, you know, Lorenzo Cain's like, no, I'm, I'm opting out. I just can't do this. And the Cubs are, like you said, about to face the Cardinals who are, are really trying to rein this in. So that is the, um, that could be the, the most powerful 
in a in a negative sense to undermine everything when you have all this doubt. So they have to continue to communicate and continue to follow protocol. All right, Doug, to switch gears a little bit, Cubs 7-2, and two, best record in the National League. Um, but before we talk about some of the more in-depth baseball questions, the thing that stands out to a lot of people who watch the Cubs is this the amount of fun that they're having in the dugout. And there's been so many comments from other teams even like, hey, what are you guys doing over there to keep the energy loose? Um, but from your perspective as a former player, how valuable is that in, in, in the scope of a season? And then right now in this 60-game sprint in the middle of a, of a pandemic, would you say? Well, that is super valuable. You can't even – you can't even quantify it because it's, you know, even under regular circumstances, it's a long season. You get to August, you know, especially for 25 games out, which I've experienced, you know, you're just like, what am I doing? And you, you need to reset and be reminded about sort of the gift of being able to, to do something you love to do. And, and you have your own family built into baseball and, you know, the Cubs you know, with David Ross, it matters. It matters to have someone that, was on both sides. He's manager now, but he was, he was a teammate. And, and throughout the league in baseball, he was a teammate to many teams and he won championships. He won World Series titles that had never been done before in, in, in quite some time in terms of history, right? Broke two curses, basically. Uh, so all that makes a big difference. And he understands the importance of enjoying. You have to enjoy this. You have to have fun. You have to remember why you're here and embrace the, the leadership role that every player is, uh, has been thrust into on some degree about everyone's watching, uh, n- not only just with the pandemic, but just watching because they're looking for normalcy. They're looking for that, that love that they have and passion for the game to be expressed with the joy that they associate it with. And the Cubs have done a great job with that. And it comes off. And as you mentioned, people are noticing. Doug, you say that they're out there and they're having fun and, and that's noticeable. And, you know, last time I looked, winning is a whole lot more fun than losing. And this team, they've won in a whole bunch of different ways. They've won with solid starting pitching. They've won with timely hitting, whether it be the power stroke or playing a little small ball. You know, we saw Javi the other day lay down a bunt and then we saw Javi win a game in walk-off fashion with one that was just absolutely laced up the middle. How big of a feather in the cap of the Cubs is that? And to know that they can win games in such a variety of ways. That is huge. And that brings you back to 2016. You get that taste of how they used to beat teams every kind of way. You know, they wore down, wear down pitchers with pitch counts. They had, they had great base runners. They were phenomenal defenders. I mean, that's what kind of got away the last couple of years. They, they, they stopped really playing defense, you know, the stellar level that they were playing. They weren't the base running team that they were when Brian and Baez were just hair on fire. They, they just um, got back to some of the smaller things and appreciated the, the small victories. And, and it's harder and harder in this day with the big ball and the baseball, home run games kind of, they, um, they're much more geared to winning in different ways. And I think when you can circle how much the bullpen has struggled, for example, uh, going into yesterday, they were last in basically every category. And then they dropped like, you know, five innings of shutout baseball. You know, that is, that is power, empowering when you say, I can take my weakness, turn it into a strength and win a ball game and build on that. And they, they're looking fantastic. They're, they're starters. They're getting contributions from everyone. They're, they're making their small ball be valuable again. 
you know, they look incredible. And uh, you, can you imagine all of a sudden you have this unusual, unprecedented season, you may walk away with a world championship. Because <laughs> seven and two, they'll tell you, you, you go seven, two again, you're like clinching the division. I mean, this is who knows how many games we're going to get in. Doug, we, we got to talk a little bit more in depth about the bullpen. David Ross through the first week or so wasn't overly concerned simply because of the fact that they didn't have the normal amount of time to ramp up to this season. The guys had been out. I mean, he used Craig Kimbrell as an example when he was brought in and against Cincinnati. He hadn't pitched in six days. And so there was a little bit of grace there. At what point do you start to look at the pen and get concerned? I know we, we mentioned yesterday the five scoreless innings, but um, beyond that, like where, how do you gauge where the bullpen is at and at what point do you think it's a concern? Well, it's early on, you have to be responsive. You know, the, it wasn't like, you know, David Ross didn't say, hey, you know, Kimbrell, I'm just going to keep giving you the ball. He recognized that you have to adapt quickly because, you know, it, maybe it's going to be a 60-game schedule, maybe. So every game, for one, is pretty much a division game or, or certainly 40 out of 60. So you're gaining ground and you're, you're going through critical games every day. And so they can't take any of it for granted. And so you want that bullpen operational, even though you recognize they had these interrupted spring trainings and summer camps. And Kimbrell, you know, he's had two years. I mean, he held out the year before. So he's had all kinds of interruptions and hasn't quite found that form, velocity included. So, you know, you want to find ways to win fairly quickly. And I think yesterday was such a great uh, example of, them being at their best, you know, their best and from a bullpen standpoint. So I, I think you're ringing the alarms immediately, even when you understand the circumstances, because you can't, every game is so important. You, you don't, you're playing pretty much division games all the time, two out of three games. And that is going to make a huge difference. Doug, with the heightened importance of each and every single game, like you said, everyone is essentially a division game. We've seen what Craig Kimbrell has been able to bring to the table so far this season. And, you know, no disrespect to Craig Kimball, but it hasn't been a whole bunch. However, on the, on the flip side, we've seen 24, Jeremy Jeffress. He's come in and he has been a bright spot. The, the guy has pitched out of jams each and every single turn of the corner. We saw him come in with bases loaded after Kimball couldn't close the door. Two strikeouts, works full counts in, in both instances. And then he comes in the other day and gets it done again in, in the seventh I mean, has Jeremy Jeffress essentially in this short season, has, has he earned the role of a closer? And, and Because if he hasn't, he sure has gone out there and he's filled the role of a closer and he sure has looked like one. Well, I mean, certainly he's, he's pitched incredibly well and he's kind of kept the glue together of the bullpen when they were overall struggling. He was that shining light. And no shock, I mean, 2018, he was incredible, incredible. He had like a one-two something in the one-twos ERA. But then in 2019, he was up almost four, four runs, five, around a five. So, and a lot of it was command. There was nothing wrong with his stuff. He just started to lose command of it. And he has it this season. And so he could be in that role, but, you know, it's kind of working. Whatever he's doing, it's working. And, you know, they've pulled out some of these games. They only have two losses. And although the bullpen hasn't been strong, we could try to say they could be 9-0, and but 7-2 and is a, is a great start. And he's been an integral part of that. So 
uh, you know, look, they're going to hope to get Kimbrough right. But here's the thing. This season is too short to, to kind of hold yourself to traditional structures and roles. You have to play short game. You have to adapt quickly. You have to look at matchups. And, you know, you have this crazy magic double base angel ghost runner at second base and extra <laughs> innings. So with all that, like, that's a different strategy. So, um I think anything is on the table. Even you have to throw away a little bit of having, quote-unquote, a closer. You just got to win matchup by matchup. All right, Doug, last one for me. Offensively, this team has been solid from the get-go. What impresses you most about the way that the lineup plays? I, I just love watching how their contributions are coming from everywhere. Everywhere. And, you know, you saw Ian Happ wasn't even, you know, supposed to lead off. Bryant goes down, he gets in there, and he just, he just jumps in there. Uh, there is a next man up kind of mentality. It's a very David Rossian kind of – I think Rossian needs to be like a philosophy. We have to, we have to work <laughs> on that. Uh, it's a very Rossian to have guys just step in at any given time and contribute. And then they look at their manager and they say, yeah, I don't have an excuse. Ross pulled it off himself coming into World Series game, whatever he needed to do. Uh, as he said, every day of David Ross's career, he was, uh, he was concerned about his longevity in the game. He didn't ever have that comfort of, hey, you're the starter. You're the guy. It's your job. He, he had the fight every day in a role that could be expendable at any given moment. And then he pulled together an incredible championship career. And that is, seems to be what these players are tapping. The Cubs players, uh, you know, you look at them and they say, you know, we're, we're never out of it. We are you know, going to do whatever it's asked. You know, he talks about Nico Horner and he says like how he's impressed, how he's put him in all these different situations, different roles in the lineup, uh, different times off the bench, different positions. And he's responded. I think that kind of sums up uh, David Ross and, and the team. And it's amazing to look at a really young player and see a young player kind of embody what they're trying to do. But, but Nico Horner really kind of has that. And, and, uh, and you mix that with these incredible veteran players that are, you know, Rizzo and Schwarber. You know, these guys are – and they're calling Schwarber a veteran. It's amazing. But it's true. Like, that's where they are. So they, they're still young, too. So there's a lot going on that's going well. Uh, and, I, and I do give a lot of credit to David Ross. Yeah, with that mix of youth and veteran leadership, this team, they have, you know, an unbelievable upside, as we've seen so far. Is that's why they have that 7-2 and two record. But, you know, Doug – you know, the whole reason we had you here is because of that, that open editorial that you wrote in the New York Times about COVID-19, the fragile environment. And, you know, before we get you out of here, what, what are your thoughts as far as baseball finishing out this 2020 schedule? Are, are you optimistic that we finally get to the end of this, of this rope and, and we get ourselves a, a World Series and finally crown a champion? Yeah, I, I'm optimistic. I, I think we have to except that there might be some interruptions, you know, as, as we already have seen, but even going ahead, because anything could, could disrupt this season, anything. And, you know, from a strategic logistics game standpoint, uh, as long as they safely do it, they might be able to continue to find ways to, to work around, to quarantine, to cancel a couple of games and recognize that teams may not have 60 games. I mean, you look at the NL East, you have, you know, teams that have played 10 games and teams that have played three. I mean, that's probably never happened in, in history. And, and this abnormal, you have to work with it. You have to work with it. So 
Um, so, so far, most camps seem to be okay testing-wise. That's encouraging, and we're still getting baseball on a daily basis. And you hope the, the Marlins chip will be righted and the Cardinals. And, you know, just learn from those experiences so that if it comes up again, that they'll be better prepared to, to address it. Absolutely. We're hoping that everything falls into place because as it stands, over 30 cancellations and postponements. So with the Marlins and the Cardinals, hopefully everything gets back to status quo. And for all the listeners out there who didn't have a chance to read Doug's article in the New York Times, please do so. It touches on baseball in 2020 and the fragile environment that we currently live in. As always, Doug Glanville, man, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for stopping by and taking time out of your schedule. All right, Cole, Taylor, thanks for joining us. Thanks, in. Doug. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Look forward to seeing Doug Glanville on Cubs Live and Cubs Post Game Live. He's always a shining light. And coming up now right here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, our Tony Andraki, he caught up with Elise Menneker. And, of course, they were chatting Cubs baseball. Thanks, Cole. And, Elise, we just saw that new extra innings rule in action here at Wrigley Field that Cubs had some great defense in the top of the 10th. Kyle Schwarber made a really impressive throw, especially when taking into account the fact that the field was really wet. It just got dumped on for over an hour of rain at Wrigley, but made a great throw. Wilson Contreras held on at the back end. Bottom half of the inning, the Cubs weren't able to make contact with the runner on third. But in the 11th, Anthony Rizzo moved the runner over. Javi Baez finished it off. And David Ross was laughing and joking about his first interaction with this new rule and new format is, so far, so good, because it worked out in the Cubs' favor. What was your thought, Elise? Yeah, I mean, like, how fun was that to have that be the first extra innings game uh, that we see from the Cubs? Um, I mean, it was it's interesting, because I think when this rule was announced, you're kind of assuming, okay, maybe we're going to start seeing teams bunt. Uh, and that hasn't been the case, actually. A majority of the times, we're seeing exactly what both, actually, the Cubs and Pirates have done, and that is just swing away uh, and trying to advance the runners. Um, so I think it uh, goes very much much in line with what David Ross had said after the game. And that is, he's just going to do based on what the situation calls for. So do uh, what is best in that situation, I should say. And that's what we saw today. It worked. Uh, and it was, it was really exciting, right? So I'm on board with it. Yeah, no, it was. And it was just kind of funny how it played out too, because if that whole scenario happened again, where you got Sousa ended up stealing third on a bunt that Horner, uh, yeah, and it was ruled that he went around, but I, I don't know. There was a kind of could go either way. It looked like JD really on the broadcast didn't think so, but it was just kind of funny. I mean, you got Nico Horner and Alvaro Mora up against the lefty, probably the two best contact bats the Cubs have against lefties, and neither of them are able to make contact. But then, like we said, it, it just kind of all plays out. So uh, it was, I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was just exciting in general. And in, also, I, I was really impressed with the way the Cubs bullpen handled it. Uh, Ryan Tapera in the 10th and then Jeremy Jeffers pitching around the guys on second base. The, the Cubs defense, as we mentioned, helped out. But for a bullpen that has been maligned up until this point, I think they really helped the Cubs in a big, big way on Sunday. Tony, absolutely. I mean, in a game where it's so crucial to keep your team in it, to give them a chance to win, and against the Pirates, look, I know we're not talking about one of the best teams in the league, but these are the games that you want to win and that you should win. So when you're going for the series sweep, you're talking about a 60-game season. These are the games that are going to matter in the long run. So to have your bullpen come through like this uh, in a game like this, 
totally to your point, it was great to see guys like Winkler, Sadler, Tapera. Jeffress has been pretty consistent to start this season, but still to have them all working together and to complement that start from John Lester, another good start from him as well, uh, really promising from the Cubs and their uh, bullpen staff. And we continue, like I said, to see the starters do well. And then when you partner that with the hitting we're seeing, I mean, this this is fun. The Cubs are having fun. We're having fun watching. Yeah, no, that's a great point, too. I mean, the Pirates, yeah, they're not a good team. And the offense, they came into this series at Wrigley with the worst average and slash line in baseball. But you're absolutely right. This is exactly the kind of game the Cubs needed to win to finish off the sweep. But it's a series in general that the Cubs really needed to, to at least win, if not get the sweep, if they want to get to where they want to go to this season. And uh, as you mentioned, too, Lester had a great outing. The the starting rotation did exactly what they were supposed to this weekend with Darvish, Chatwood, and Lester. Again, it, it's not the best Pirates offense right now, but this is what you wanted to see. This is the performance that you would have wanted out of each of these guys, and it's especially rewarding to see a guy like Chatwood have the, the type of performance that he's had two starts in a row now after the Cubs touted his ability to, to be a huge X factor in the rotation and they were saying that he looks so hungry and determined in both Arizona and summer camp. But just in general, I, I, I've been really impressed with the way this rotation has has handled everything throughout these first nine games here this season. Definitely. And Tony, to that point, I also think about you, Darvish, who his his first start, it's not terrible. But when you're following a guy like Kyle Hendricks, who in his first start uh, completed a game uh, and pitched phenomenal, it's all about the progression and the adjustments this season. So I mentioned Darvish because that's what we saw in his second start. He looked a lot better, a lot sharper out there. And then I even think about tonight's game when we want to talk about the bullpen. It's just about everyone doing their job and fixing things day to day. So every day you're not going to be perfect because also of everything that's going on. So you have to take that into consideration. These guys are working through a lot off the field. So when they come to the field, I think it's cool what you're seeing is they're focusing on the task at hand. And so if one day isn't great. They're trying to make the next day great. And they're all embracing that and supporting each other. And that's that togetherness and family that we're seeing from the Cubs. And that's what David Ross has facilitated from the start of this season. Yeah, it's a good point. And really, the David Ross effect is real. It's to use a yeah. he's used a lot. It's it is real. It's something that we've seen. And it's only nine games. It is a small sample size. But like you mentioned, it's a short season. It's a sprint. It's you know, the, the Cubs are almost, you know, one sixth of a way through the, the year now. And this is exactly what you would have wanted to see from Ross, from the energy in the dugout, from these guys playing as a, as a group and a cohesive unit, like you mentioned, too. And really where they're at, I mean, seven and two is, is about what you could ask for. If you're a Cubs fan watching this team in the first week and a half here of the season, Things obviously are, are a little bit um, unknown, concerning, worrisome around the league as you see some of the other outbreaks uh, with the Marlins. And then now, unfortunately, the, the Cardinals have one as well. So it's certainly not in a great spot. And, and the, the Cubs series in St. Louis is we just don't know right now. We, we don't know where it is. John Lester was saying after Sunday's game that he thought if he had to put his money on it, he doesn't think that the Cubs would play those three games in St. Louis which is really unfortunate because right now the Cubs are really cruising and they want to, to keep showing up in the field and playing. But Elise, as you look at, at the big picture of all of this, uh, how do you, what's your take on all this as we see baseball try to battle with the virus? 
Tony, yeah, specifically to that point, I think about the Cubs, and this is kind of where they shine and the best athletes shine, because in these situations, you know, and the Cubs have said it before, they can only control what they can control. So what you do is you focus on the task at hand that day. So when they have the Royals coming up, they're not thinking about the Cardinals, and they really can't think about the Cardinals because none of that is in their control. Whatever the league decides, whatever happens with that team, they're just going to try to stay as safe and healthy as possible. So it's interesting how there's still a lot of unknowns out there. We don't know what's going to happen with that series against the Cardinals. We don't know what's going to happen with the Cardinals in general because things change day to day. All you can do though, like I said, and, and all this team can really do and what they have been doing is just going out there and playing and having fun because you're seeing that uh, at any moment um, just the situation can change. All right, Elise, thanks for hopping on. And if the Cubs are able to actually play this series in St. Louis next weekend, as we all hope they will, we actually caught up with Dan Winkler, the Cubs relief pitcher. He had a big showing in Sunday's game at Wrigley Field. We talked to Winkler before summer camp started. He's actually a guy who grew up in central Illinois as part of a family that was torn between Cubs fans and Cardinals fans. He was only about an hour or so from St. Louis. He said he grew up cheering for the Cardinals a lot, but a lot of his family members were very happy when he signed with the Cubs. Let's hear more from Dan about that rivalry and, and how that's played out within his family, especially over the last couple of months. So I know you've had an interesting journey to this point with the Cubs, um, but having grown up in, in central, south central Illinois, uh, what was your first, I guess, kind of memories of the Cubs and, and growing up? Did you watch a lot of Cubs games? Oh, yeah. Uh, my grandpa on my dad's side, was a big Cub fan and my grandma on my mom's side is probably an even bigger Cub fan. Um, I remember growing up, my grandma would pick me up from school and she'd have the Cubs game on uh, AM radio. And I remember her always cussing because she lived outside of our little town and in the, in town, you couldn't get the AM radio that well. So she'd always be like, all right, we got to get going. We got to listen to the Cubs game because it would be all staticky, so we'd have to get out of town so we could hear the Cubs game uh, better. So I I grew up listening to Harry Carey, and um, when we'd get to my grandma's house, she'd turn on WGN, and um, we watched it all the time. Um, so I grew up a, a Cardinal fan um, just because uh, St. Louis was an hour from me, um, so we went to a bunch of Cardinal games. But I always grew up. Um, not really like a Cub hater like most Cardinal fans would, but like I respected the Cubs. I loved watching the Cubs. Um, they were always packed out. They seemed like a fun team to just uh, just follow. And then when I got into professional baseball, I always wanted to be a part of that team that won the World Series for the first time. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't, but good for the Cub fans. that they, they did it before I was uh, a Cub, I guess. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that. Uh, like you mentioned, your family, you know, grew up rooting for the Cubs, and I'm sure a lot of other friends or family members or anybody else in town did as well. So in 2016, what was that like for you to um, and, and just the people in your life to watch them finally win it all? Uh, to be honest with you, uh, I didn't watch a baseball game in 2016 until Game 7 World Series. I, I broke my elbow in 16, um, five games into the season. So I didn't know if I was going to come back. It was a roller coaster journey for me, and I just couldn't watch any baseball. Um, 
it just just hurt too bad. And I honestly, my wife made me watch Game Seven. Um, just I didn't want to, uh, but I'm glad I did. But I remember, you know, my my grandfather passed away the year before the Cubs won the World Series, and watching them uh, jump up and down and uh, just finally win a World Series for the first time. Uh, I got kind of emotional because I was really close to my, my grandpa and he was my biggest fan. So that was, uh, and I've talked to so many Cub fans, it was a special moment for them and it's an emotional moment. And um, so it was, it was for me as well to watch them uh, win it all. You said your wife made you watch game seven. Uh, was it just because she knew that like you needed to watch this kind of moment? I think so. She didn't want to miss history. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I think she knew I needed to watch that and, and see, uh, get the love for baseball back. Uh, like I said, it was, it just felt like it was stripped from me that year and, um, watching that it kind of motivated, motivated me, uh, to get back. And, um, so like I said, I'm watching the Cubs from a distance, um, just respecting the organization and, and wanting to be a part of it, honestly. When uh, when you signed with the Cubs, did you call your grandma? And if so, like, what was that conversation like? Yeah, I told my grandma uh, that they were – I was having a phone call with them and getting an offer. And she's like – you know, right away, she's like, so can I tell everybody that, you know, you're going to be a Cub? You, I, I got to get my Cubs stuff. Do you need Cubs? Do your family need Cubs? Does, I got a bunch of Cubs stuff. Like, anybody can have. So she was pretty excited. But on the flip side, my grandma's – or my wife's grandma – it's a huge Cardinal fan. Okay. And, and so she told, asked my wife if I had to sign with the Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the Cub uh, Cardinal rivalry is, is real. And uh, it's, that's, that's another thing that I'm excited about. Like just watching that rivalry and um, it's probably one of the best in the sports. And uh so I'm excited about that, and hopefully we still have that. I think we should, but uh, it'll be exciting. So your wife's grandma is going to cheer for you, but not necessarily for the Cubs overall. That's how it's going to work. Yeah, that she already has has told me that. That you know, I'll root for you, but I I don't think I can root for the Cubs. So that's awesome. <laughs> I'll say sorry to my my teammates. Uh, I apologize to them. Uh, so Dan Winkler lending some credence to the fact that the Cubs and Cardinals rivalry, it, it is a real thing. He has family members on both sides, fans of St. Louis, fans of Chicago. And as you maybe know, he had you know, a, a, a relative that said that they didn't really want him to sign with the Cubs because of their allegiance to the team that plays in Missouri that wears red. But as we all know, winners wear blue, losers wear red. That's at least what the t-shirts say as you walk around the friendly confines on game day when it is a regular season. And with that being said, well, our time here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast is over with. But as always, we're presented by Wind Trust, And don't forget to download and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts today. So for Tony Andraki, Elise Meneker, Taylor McGregor, and Doug Glanville, I'm Cole Wright. We'll see you next time. Enjoy the rest of your week.